If you can turn with me, please, in God's word to the book of Genesis, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 42, coming again to the life of Joseph. And for the next number of messages, really, we will be sort of with Joseph, but mostly focusing on how the Lord deals with his brothers uh, and leading up to the reunion of Joseph and his brethren. And we want to look really at the leading of the Lord, how the Lord brings everything together uh, in bringing his brothers back. We started it last time when we looked at the thought uh, of two weeks ago, there is corn in Egypt, and we looked at that. So we'll read Genesis chapter 42, uh, verse 1 down to verse 8 for today, and we're going to talk about the conscience seared. Now I have a number of points, but we're not going to get through them. We're only going to get to the first point and uh, we'll visit the rest, uh, God willing, on another occasion. But there's so much here uh, in this uh, passage. Uh, Genesis chapter 42, verse 1, the word of God says, Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do ye look one upon another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren. For he said, lest peradventure mischief befall him. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came. For the famine was in the land of Canaan, and Joseph was governor over the land. And he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, And spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but his brethren, but but they uh, knew him not. Amen. We know the Lord without his blessing uh, to the reading of his word. As I said, we will come back and forth uh, in this passage and we'll cover the whole chapter in the next uh, number of weeks but with God's word open let's look to God now and pray the Lord will write his word upon our heart for his name's sake our heavenly father and our eternal God we confess Lord without thee we can do nothing but O God we rejoice through Christ I can do all things and we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength and therefore Lord we pray that thou will come and search our hearts by thy spirit. We pray, O God, see if there be any wicked way in us and cleanse us from every sin. Father, we pray, O God, as we go through the life of Joseph, we thank thee for lessons that we have learned, lessons dealing of the Christian life, lessons dealing and leading us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray even this day again that we will be blessed under the sound of thy word. Give help now in Jesus' name. Amen. In Genesis chapter 42, verse 3 onwards, 
The scene returns to Joseph and his brethren. The last time both groups were in view was in Genesis 37 when Joseph was 17 years old. At that time, Joseph's brother, they sold him as a slave to Midianite merchantmen going down to Egypt. And from Genesis 37 to Genesis chapter 42, around 20 years have passed. I suggest that because Joseph's age is recorded in Genesis 32 first, or Genesis 37 verse 2 as the age 17. Genesis 41 verse 46 is then the age given is the age 30. And so the years between then are 13. Then add 13 years to the first seven years of plenty that had just ended in Genesis 41 and verse 53. Uh, so that is uh, 13 plus 7. Uh, that equals 20. So hopefully we are on uh, good ground. Now we are now entering in to around about the first year of the famine. And all that really goes on now will be the first two years of the famine. So really... It's anything between 20 to 22, but certainly 20 to 21 years have now passed. And in those 20 years or 21 years, much has happened. Much has taken place between Joseph from his humiliation to exaltation, from his trials, temptations to the throne, from rejection to ruling. And from today, over the next number of messages, I want to focus on what has taken place during those 20 years with regards uh, to the brothers. Because what's going to happen now? God will bring Joseph and his brothers together again. There will be reconciliation. But before reconciliation takes place, there must first be confession of sin and repentance. There must be an acknowledgement of wrongdoing. And only then will Joseph be able to bless his brothers. And isn't that the gospel as well? Before we can enter into the blessings of the covenant of grace, there must be an acknowledgement of sin. There must be confession. There must be repentance in order to enjoy the blessings of the Lord. For 20 years, the brothers had lived knowing the truth. What took place that day with Joseph? Now, we have gone through this in great detail. And you yourself can flick back in your mind to think about all that we have looked upon. On that occasion with Joseph, you remember in Genesis 37, that day when they uh, persecuted Joseph, they betrayed Joseph, they sold Joseph, they lied to their father. They returned home and they told him a different story. But in both cases, in selling Joseph and deceiving their father, the brothers thought they had gotten away with their lies and their wickedness. That's the whole point of this message over the next number of weeks. They thought they had gotten away with their sin. And for 20 years that has been the case, according to them. But now... In Genesis 42 onwards, their sin has found them out. Their sin has now come to light. What they thought had been forgotten 
has now flooded up before them. And they now face this sin. Uh, they now confronted with it. In Genesis chapter 42, verses 21 and 22, their conscience having been alerted and awakened, their sin exposed, they see themselves for the first time in 20 or 21 years as guilty. For the first time in 20 and 21 years, they finally admit we are guilty concerning our brother. Oh, 20 years before, they hid their sin. They lied about their sin. They tried to cover their sin. But now 20 years later, their sin has been found out. God has brought them down to a place where they have to cry out, we are guilty concerning our brother. And only then is their confession and then there is repentance and they enter into blessing. The Bible commentator, F.B. Meyer, he said this, if there is one thing more than another that is needed in Christians, congregations, and in the world, it is the deep conviction of sin. Well would it be if some resurrection trumpet could sound and awaken the sleeping conscience of men, causing long-forgotten and unforgiven sins to arise and come forth from their graves. And that's what takes place. They are awakened and their sin is brought before them. You ask the question then, what is a conscience? A conscience is a moral awareness to discern right from wrong. It is sensitive to good and evil. It is a witness of God in the soul. Within the creation of man, God gave a conscience, or as the word means, with knowledge. When God created man, and I emphasize that in this day and age, you did not come by evolution or some specimen that was dropped or came into something else. Uh, You or some liquid form that transformed into something. God created man. And in his creation of man, God wrote his law on his heart, on the heart of man, summarizing the Ten Commandments. We read that in Romans chapter 2, verse 15. The word of God says, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Now Paul in that passage was speaking to Gentiles, non-Jews, those who did not have a copy of the law of God in written form as the Jews did. But Paul's point is this, whether a person had a copy of the law written down or not, all humanity have the law of God written on their heart. And whether a person is Jew or Gentile, none can escape the authority or accountability uh, to their creator. God is your creator and therefore responsible, accountable to him. The conscience is your internal alarm and internal warning system that when you're thinking of doing something wrong, 
It bears witness to that. It stores that information. The conscience goes off like an alarm clock. It sounds off letting you know what you're doing is wrong. And why the conscience can be silenced. It can be ignored. It can be put aside. Yet it can never be fully switched off. That's why the same guilt confessed in chapter 42 by the brothers was the same guilt they dismissed, they put aside, put out of their mind 20 years previous. They tried to justify their actions by hardening their heart against Joseph. They tried to talk themselves in to what they did was actually right and acceptable. Instead of killing Joseph, which they had planned, and they knew would be wrong and sinful, they decided to sell him. And by doing so, they began to silence their conscience. They began to make themselves think, well, by not killing him and selling him, well, it's just not as bad. And we can go on with this. And as far as their conscience goes, they tried to hide their guilt. They tried to cover their tracks. They tried to act all Innocent. They tried to turn their attention to other matters and continue on through life as if nothing happened but believing the lie which they created. And for 21 years, they believed they got away with it never to hear about this again to them. It's all done and dusted. Nothing more until God intervenes. And God moves in a wonderful way. And their conscience roars out. It sounds out. Guilty. 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 God puts them in a situation. Where they have to recall back everything. That took place against Joseph. Their sin against him. Their betrayal against him. And only then when they confess that sin is the relief because the only one who can give relief to the guilty conscience is the Lord. And so as we think about that today in the next number of weeks, today we only want to look at the conscience seared. And next time we'll look at the conscience stared and we'll go into different thoughts now. First of all, their conscience seared. Verse 8. Joseph knew his brethren But they knew him not. Now in Genesis 37, as Joseph thought the well-being of his brethren, they planned his death. But their plans changed. Because remember, Reuben pleaded not to shed blood. Instead, throw him into the pit. But later then, he was sold for money. And again, we've looked at how this all typifies the Lord Jesus Christ and being betrayed and being sold for money and we've made those points but why the brothers didn't go through with literally killing joseph shedding his blood yet the hatred within their hearts against him they had they had committed the sin of murder within their hearts because john first john chapter 3 verse 15 states whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer And so why they may not have killed him literally there and then, but the hatred they had in their hearts, they had committed murder in their hearts by hating them. They wished him to be dead. And by selling Joseph, 
He was to the brothers as good as dead. They were jealous of him and they sold him into Egypt. Now that was that plan done. We've got rid of Joseph. We've got rid of this one. But they had to come up now with another plan. What do we now tell dad? When we go back and Joseph's not there, what's going to happen now? And they have to come up with another story. And so they kill an animal. And they put the animal's blood on Joseph's coat. And they brought that coat to their father. And they told him that they found the coat. Leaving their father with the impression that Joseph has been killed by a wild animal. And from that day, in Genesis 37, verses 31 to 33, Jacob stops to live. For the next 21 years, until he finally meets Joseph again. But he doesn't know that. In his mind, Joseph is dead. He refuses to be comforted. He grieves. He mourns. He stops to live. He's just getting through every single day. And the brothers know this. They can see this. They know the grief that's causing their father. They know the lies that they've told at breaking their father's heart. But in their mind, dad's bought the story. Say nothing. We're as good as over the line. And so they continue on. They conclude, we've gotten away with this. Dad believes the story. And if we just keep up with the same story... Nothing will come off it and give it a couple of weeks, months, years. It'll be forgotten about. And that's how the brothers see it. And that's really where the story left. And then we went on to Joseph and the temptations, the trial. Well, now we're coming back to it. Why? Because no man gets away with sin. Sin will catch up with you. Sin will find you out. You never get away with sin. No matter how many weeks, many months, days or years, your sin will find you out. Genesis 37, verse 27. The brethren, they are content. And what they really begun to do is the title of the message today. They've started the process of searing or hardening their conscience by silencing it, by putting it aside, by trying to talk themselves into thinking we've got away with this from genesis 37 until genesis 42 they have lived in denial rejection putting away any sorrow and guilt and they have seared they've silenced their conscience in other words they have become hardened to the situation they have built a resistance for 20 years And that resistance is broken down in Genesis 42. This is what the Apostle Paul told Timothy in writing off unbelievers in his day. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 2, Paul said of those who shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrine of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And that is the thought, their conscience seared. What does it mean to have a seared conscience? Well, the word seared means, as used there in First Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, or the thought of seared conscience, means to burn or, or 
to scar. It talks about hardening something. So you talk about searing your conscience. You're hardening your heart. The picture is one of applying a hot iron to skin or clothes. Now you're like me, uh, maybe your wife, those who are not married or mums or dads, whatever it may be, you try to iron your clothes and someone looks at you in the home and realises, no, 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 I, I just do it myself. I try to iron my clothes and if you put the iron on the clothes sometimes, it can burn it. And when it burns the material, what happens? It hardens the material. It all scrunches up hard. Well, that's what it is to sear the conscience. It's something hot put on it and it makes it hard. Or if you've ever burnt your skin, it becomes hard, the bit that's been burnt. And that's what it is to uh, sear the conscience. And Paul is making this point about the hypocrites. They've told that many lies day after day, week after week. They actually believe it. And they've got to the point where they're so used to telling lies, believing lies, that they've silenced the voice of God. They've talked themselves into thinking their lies are actually truth. And that is the seer, the conscience, a hardness. And that's what took place with Joseph's brothers. They presented themselves acceptable to their father. And by doing so, the more lies they told, they were searing their conscience. They were hardening their heart because they were living a lie, telling a lie, which they believed they were getting away with within over 20 years. Now, let me illustrate it this way. In 1984, there was an airline flying over Spain that crashed into a mountain. And as all our crashes, as you know, uh, they always look for this black box, the recording, because it records uh, things that took place uh, on uh, the plane before it crashed. And so uh, they were able to locate this uh, black box and they were able to play the recording of what uh, took place. And on the recording, there was a female person was heard saying, pull up, pull up, pull up, over again. Pull up, pull up, pull up. Obviously the plane was going low and they were told, pull up, pull up. And a few minutes after, the pilot was heard to say, shut up, gringo. And with that, the system finished. The plane had crashed and they realized that the warning to pull up was ignored and the plane crashed. And the whole point is this. Whenever you're telling lies, whenever you're beginning to do something wrong, your conscience is pricking you. Pull up. Pull up. This is wrong. This is sin. But what we do because we want to do it, or we want to believe it, we ignore Maybe we're in trouble. Young people do this all the time. Not saying everybody does here, but young people do it. They don't want to get caught, so they believe it. They tell a lie. And they start to, hey, everybody, get the story right here so no one else gets caught on. And all the time, they're telling a lie. And so that's what's happening to the searing off the conscience. The brothers have got together, these young men, telling a lie. 
and they think they have gotten away with it. But here's the point, not to forget. And this is what Joseph's brothers did forget. Just because you sear your conscience, because you ignore it, you try to hide it, you get a different story to try and cover it up, you're still guilty before God and still without excuse. You may have escaped man's judgment. You may have convinced yourself you've gotten away with it, but you have not escaped God's judgment. And that's what takes place in Genesis 42, when the brothers have seared their conscience. 20 years later, their conscience is stirred again. It's awakened again because the very fact they are in, in Canaan, and they're told now they have to go to Egypt, they begin to realize, well, what happened in Egypt? We sold Joseph into Egypt. And then the very fact their fathers, we read, will not let Benjamin go, lest mischief happens to him. Oh, but why won't dad let Benjamin come with us? Oh, maybe he actually does know something. Maybe we have been caught out. And all this begins to happen until then, when they get down into Egypt, And then Joseph knows them, but they don't know him. And he hears them speaking about their actions. And then he puts them in a prison. And then in the prison, they feel guilty. And they begin to say, we are guilty concerning our brother. And all that there comes before them. And they're brought down to the point where they have to confess. Joseph was the governor over the land, verse 6. And so they come and they bow down to him. Again, that's fulfilling Genesis chapter 37, verses 7 and 8. They were part of the fulfillment where they have to bow down to Joseph. Make no mistake. The Bible teaches your sin will find you out. You may do something hidden. You may do something that no one knows about. You may cover it up. But it will come back to you. You will not get away with it. And there is certainly an application for the saved and the unsaved. When the believer sears his conscience and is challenged and confronted about that sin, the seared conscience will be alarmed, awakened, alerted, and it will come for cleansing. That's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. When you're confronted about your sin, convicted about your sin, you will come for cleansing. You will realize, I have done wrong in the sight of God cleanse me from my sin. Whereas the unbeliever will continue on in sin. That's why 1 John chapter 3 verse 9 says, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Now that's not teaching sinless perfection. That's not teaching once you are saved you will never sin again. Because the Bible does not teach that. 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 through 10 If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and we make God liar. But what it means is this, the one who is born of God, when they are confronted with sin, they will not continually practice and live and dwell in sin. They will realize, I've sinned, I've grieved the Lord whom I love. Therefore, forgive me, cleanse me from my sin. And that's why you have that great word, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. That means the blood continually cleanses. There's never a time when the blood does not cleanse. The blood continually cleanses from all sin. And in closing, 
when David sinned with Bathsheba. Remember 1 Samuel chapter 11. David viewed this beautiful woman named Bathsheba. And she was washing herself by the window. And I know people always go with David about this and say, well, should the woman have been washing herself at the window for everybody to see? Uh, well, that's a, another subject for another time. But from David's point of view is this. He sees this woman whom he likes. And he then begins to uh, desire her. And he begins to ask more about her. He wants to find out more. And he's told, is not this Bathsheba, the, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? In other words, David, this woman is married to one of your officers. But at that stage, David doesn't care. I want her in the subject, in the story. And she's going to be mine. And so David ignores the warning. You can imagine his conscience. David, this is wrong. This is sin. This is idolatry. This woman's married. This is wrong. Pull up, pull up, pull up. But David ignores the warning. And he begins to justify what his actions. And we learn that Bathsheba becomes pregnant with David's child. And David has this thought, you know, I have a problem now. It's not the fact that I've committed adultery. My problem for me is this woman's wife, or this woman's husband, is still alive. That's why I need to, to get rid of him. So what does David do? He organizes in the war that Uriah is put at the very, very front of the war. And then he's, he's killed in war, and David thinks, job done. Bathsheba's mine. End of story. I've gotten away with it. Nobody knows anything. Nobody suspects anything. Just like Joseph's brothers. Everybody doesn't know. Until the Lord intervenes. And the Lord takes that baby. As chastisement. But also as well. Second Samuel 12 verse 9. God sends a prophet. God sends a man of his own choosing to David. Wherefore hast thou despised? The commandment of the Lord. Now notice how God's seen what David did. To do evil in his sight. Oh to David this is pleasuring me. Covering after this woman. But to God this is evil. Wickedness. And again Joseph's brethren. For them they're getting rid of Joseph. But to God it's evil. It's wicked. Again David knew then he had sinned against God. From that moment. David realized, I have done wrong. And we learn in verse 13, David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned. There he confesses his sin. Oh, he thought he'd gotten away with it for a time, for a period of time. But then, whenever he was confronted with his sin, convicted of his sin, he realizes, I have sinned. I've grieved against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. There was cleansing for David. That word put away means to be uh, sent away. To never be remembered anymore. That's why sin must be cleansed and covered by the precious blood. There's many more lessons we can go on. Uh, many more illustrations here to use again. Uh, John chapter 4 of the Lord speaking to the woman at the well. But let me just say this here. 
in closing. What about you? Is your conscience cleansed or is it guilty? I said throughout this study, the Lord is touching all our lives. Lessons that we are learning. But is there unconfessed sin in your life? Is the Lord putting something in your life? Is there something you've done, you've said, whatever you think, I've gotten away with this. Nobody knows any of it. But the Lord does. And there's cleansing for you beneath the precious blood. There is forgiveness with the Lord. Because as much as you try to hide it, as much as you try to put it aside, it will always be a burden to you. It will always be a weight upon you. And wherever you go through life, you may try to change house, change job, change location, change church, change whatever you want. But the same trouble will always go with you because your conscience is guilty. Joseph's brother, for 20 years, they thought they had gotten away with it. And the Lord intervened. And therefore, you can have your sin forgiven. You can have your conscience cleaned today, cleansed today by the precious blood. First John 1 9, if we confess our sin, that word confess means to agree. If we agree with God about our sins, that it's against him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hebrews 9 verse 4, Christ is able to purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. As I said, there are many, many lessons to learn in this chapter and we will go through them in great, great detail. They will be heart searching, spirit searching because God is moving here in the brothers' lives in order to bring conviction and uh, confession and for cleansing to come to Joseph for blessing. And therefore today, you must, child of God, to enjoy the blessings of the Lord, sin must be cleansed. Sin must be put away to enjoy the blessing of the Lord. Unsaved one today, you need to be saved. Because again, you may think that you have gotten away with sin, but you have still sinned against the Lord. And you may die. And you may think, well, when I die, it'll definitely be all over because uh, no one definitely will never know. Ah, but it's appointed on to men once to die. And after this, the judgment. You will stand trial for those sins and you will be found guilty and sentenced to a lost eternity. Therefore, come this day and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your own and personal Savior. The Lord led the brothers this way for their cleansing. And so the Lord has led you this way to learn there's forgiveness with him. May the Lord write his word upon our heart for his name's sake. Amen.